When Daniel LaBelle was in school, he didn't pay any attention. He's older and wiser, he's learning philosophy with his comedian hench people. Each of whom is a wonderful sage in their own right as well. It's modern day philosophers, and now here's Daniel LaBelle. Hello and welcome to the season 10 wrap-up show with Daniel LaBelle and... Alex Fasella. It's a little bittersweet because it's our last wrap-up show together. So it's a wrap-up wrap-up show. It's yeah, also it's, uh, four uh, years, I think, seasons. since we did one. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking back at some of our episodes, and I was like, well, last time the listeners heard from me out of my own mouth was that wrap-up we did with Jordan. And um, I had just gone through a breakup, and I was like eating really bad, and now I take good care of myself, and I'm in a much better emotional place. So... That's good. You're in a new location, both physically and mentally and emotionally, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Ridgewood, Queens, and I'm pretty happy. Ridgewood, so. Queens. That's pretty yeah. cool. I don't know it, but I am originally from it's like right by Queens. Bushwick. Right by where? It's right by Bushwick. Okay. So it's near Brooklyn, my old neighborhood. Yeah. How do I not know it then? Because I lived in Bushwick. But anyway, so you're liking it. I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. So I worked really hard to find a place that was still here and was close by a gym because I've been going to the gym all the time and it's really good for my mental health and I was kind of scared to lose that. So when I managed to pull it off, I am facing the street, so I hear cars literally constantly, but it was worth it. And I have a rooster in the background. I don't know if you can hear that in a faint way, but because life repeats itself, I once again have rooster problems many years later, and I can't seem yeah. to find anyone to take them. But if anybody listening to this wants two roosters, they are available for free. You can have them. Please take them. Yeah, I will pay you. Take these roosters <laughs> take, out of my life. I just want them to have a humane, good life. And it's yeah. very hard when you're a rooster. The world does not look kindly on roosters, so... Yeah, the world seems to be uh, irritated by you or just obsessed with using you in movies to imply that it is morning. That's kind of your role in society as a rooster. It's a crude, rude world for roosters. So Crude, rude world. So, yeah, because of the pandemic and uh, me having two kids and life adjustments, uh, we basically have not had many episodes uh, in these past uh, few years, this this season ten spanned from 2019 to 2023, making it the longest sure season of all modern day philosophy's history. Yeah, and it is interesting because a lot of these, I'm like, oh, we did, we had no idea what was coming to the planet, huh? Yeah, We're just like, oh, is it Scotland lovely? We're all having gatherings indoors and not thinking it. Oh, oh my We're God. in 2021. Things are different. Um, <laughs> So we should probably, I mean, address the elephant in the room situation that I brought up at the beginning that this is your very last wrap-up show. And it's not certainly because you've been fired, not that this would be an organization that does fire anybody, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll leave it to you to break it to, to your fans. Sure. It, uh, you know, I worked on this for a long time. When we took the break, things uh, just changed a lot for me. I started writing a musical and I started doing martial arts and I did as many shows as I could as it was safe once things were safe again and uh, started writing a pilot and um, got more intense with my day job and just with so many things I was like it wouldn't be fair to you guys if I didn't ha have proper eyesight on this and so I was like okay I think it might be time for fresh blood. I didn't want to but it was I think it was time. Well, you will be sorely missed, and you'll always have a home here on the show if you want to come on to promote something or whatever it is. You know, you're, all the work you've done on this show is very much appreciated, and uh, it's never been anything but a joy working with you, and I'm very happy that this show enabled me the opportunity to become good friends with you. You too, man. And like I, I want to reiterate, I never even for a second felt unappreciated. You always were very complimentary of my work. I, Especially, we'll get into it this season. A few times in this podcast, uh, a few times a season, uh, once in a while even, 
you know, if I could go back to a, uh, if I had a time machine, I could go back to me in like 2004, up too late watching Comedy Central, and I want to go, hey, Alex, um, see that guy you're watching on the TV right now, and you think he's really funny? In about 20 years, he's going to read some words that you wrote, and he's going to wonder how you look so deep into his soul. That's <laughs> happened several times. Yeah. <laughs> you did. You've Lewis always. Skylar Stone this episode. You will not be. Re- easily replaced or ever replaced really because we'll have to find somebody but it's uh, nobody's ever going to be Alex Fasella and uh, I know that and I'm sure you know that too but in case you don't I'm saying it I will I, uh, I will always miss working with you and hopefully maybe one day we'll get to work together on something else you never know how life yeah. goes but exactly um we do have, I think, three episodes that were done for next season with still your work. So you will live on into the next season with some that were already recorded and one or two that may not have even been recorded yet, but you did prepare the notes for them. And if they ever wind up happening, uh, there still will be some Alex Fasella influence in the upcoming season. So that's exciting. Huh. It's like it's like how Ray Liotta died like three years ago, but he still has like four movies that haven't come out yet. And it's like, wait, how many did he make? I mean, we're happy to see him, but this is getting to be uh, puzzling. Your, your work lives on, my friend. It does. So uh, let's go through the season, shall we? Sure. I think the first episode was Dan Soder and Robert Louis Stevenson of uh, Dan Soder. Yeah, this one was fun. I've known Dan for a while, and I got a very sweet little shout-out when you guys brought me up, and he was like, oh, I love him. He's such a great guy. I didn't even know he remembered me, really, so that was... Oh, very, yeah, he was. Fun. He had a lot of affinity towards you. We recorded that in uh, Edinburgh the, the last time I did the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah, and which he... I finally um, finished paying off just recently. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. <laughs> also, y'all, you were very fond of saying the word lovely in, in there so it's like I've got a lovely bill that I'm going to be paying off for the next several years oh my uh, gosh but, um, quite a lovely bill yeah but he uh, so when I wrote the philosophy I you know used to hear him do really great impressions on like Bobby Kelly's show and Opie and Anthony and so I thought oh I'll do somebody who talks about personas and transformations and whatnot. and he <laughs> the way he heard it was you just do impressions right and I was like no 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 and I know he was kidding <laughs> But he, he used the words, you're not cracking this nut, Pacella. I <laughs> know I'm more than that. I was like, I know you're more than that, too. It's um, interesting because, like, the season guy. was bookended with two people who do impressions because the last episode of the season was Elon Gold. I'm skipping ahead, but he also yeah. had a whole lot to say about impressions, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're both great at him. Like, the one that always sticks out for me, obviously, Elon does the perfect Howard Stern. And Dan's one that, that really stuck out to me was he does a, a phenomenal Andre the Giant. Uh-huh. And I think I saw that either while we were still writing the show or before, but I think that just stuck in my head. I thought, okay, that guy's real good with with voices. And so that's why I went to Robert Louis Stevenson. You're going to say Giants. Real good with Giants. <laughs> <laughs> he was so good with Giants. Tamer of Giants, Dan Soder. A giant talent, you might say. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, yeah, that was great. I love Dan Soder. I loved catching up with him. He's a very funny dude. He's gone on since then to do a lot of stuff since 2019, so he's, like, really kind of blowing up now, too, career-wise. That's, like, such showbiz stuff. He's blowing up, man. Uh, but uh, <laughs> A lot of heat on him. Blowing <laughs> up from all that heat. Yeah, I don't love that terminology that I'm using, but, I mean, the, the idea of being he's doing well, so that's yeah. good. Yeah, I mean... I remember when I work remotely now, but when I used to commute into the office, there was a, there was like a summer there where I would just be sitting on the subway, you know, looking at the person across from me and they get up and move. And I would just see a poster of Dan Soder. I was like, Oh, good for him. Yeah. Wow. He had posters on the subway. Yeah. He had a special coming out. So there was actually like print ads that were, that were around. And I was very, it was always made me happy to see him. That's pretty cool. I always wanted to be yeah. on a subway poster. Don't know if that'll ever happen, but uh, unless I just start posting up pictures of myself on the subways next time I'm in New York. There's, there's still time. There's always the gorilla option. Yeah. I can always just go DIY, punk <laughs> rocket. 
Skylar Stone um, and Sylvia Plath was the next yeah, episode. This, this is the one that I really like. wanted to drive home when I tell you, like, oh, if I could look at myself as a high schooler and say, you know, in 20 years' time, you're going to mildly, but you're going to affect this guy's life a little bit. The Skylar Stone one was so interesting just because his struggle with addiction was so so gnarly and because he got off of uh, his particular vices with psychedelics, which is a whole untapped um, kind of re, uh, re- uh, that's what I'm thinking of research where you know psychedelics combined with therapy are are really really useful, but because they're they're technically drugs, you know, like the FDA doesn't want it to happen. But they can. There was a quote I read. I can't remember who said it, but it was like psychedelics or whatever whatever term they used and therapy could be like the discovery of that could be as important as biology and the microscope like it could really open mm. a world for taking care of soldiers who've had ptsd and it's not just put you in a room alone and, and let you trip balls it's we give you mdma at a controlled dose and then we have you talk through your experience it's a really important field of research but so um with this one he you know you read that sylvia plath quote and he just got really quiet and he just goes how did Alex know that I needed to hear that? And I just want to go back to myself and go, <laughs> hey, you know, Alex in high school, sad, watching that show Con with that guy, Skylar Stone. He's going to think about you for, for a while in about 20 years. Because I used to watch his yeah. show. I, I yeah. was like, oh, and I forgot this. Just a fun little trivia with me and Skylar Stone. And if I, if you talk to him soon, I want you to tell him this. So the he was 24 and he was young, and I'm sure he was probably uh, just starting to become sort of embedded with those vices and stuff. And he was a smoker and he would smoke on the show. And I remember them like doing like a prank call and he's looking down the camera, like smiling and he has an unlit cigarette. And it was the moment I realized, Oh, if you look down like the barrel of a cigarette, it's brown in the middle because of because it's rolled up tobacco. So every time I see an unlit cigarette, I think about Skylar Stone. Wow. That's, that's, so, I don't know how often that is, but that's uh, pretty. Yeah. It's uh, more frequently <laughs> than you'd think. More so than I, most people, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's ever like, I wonder if my comedy's ever affected anyone. I'm like, well, uh. I still, I just saw Skyler was in um, that new Nicolas Cage movie, the the Western film. What was it called? The Old Way or something? I think. I don't know. I I didn't see it. But he was great, and he had a small part in it. But a a pretty, um, he made a big impact with a small part in the film. It was it was really one of the more entertaining parts of the movie so yeah and and he made a really good point of being like and i think dan soder said this to a degree too it's like if you are a stand-up and you become good at anything else the the comics who are insecure want to label you as that thing to delegitimize you it's like oh well you're an actor or like oh you do you're a radio guy it's like no i do more than one thing and i'm making fun stuff and having a good time what, like what's wrong with that if anything it makes me more useful to my own career because I can do different, it's like a versatility as opposed to like, oh, it's not pure. Like you guys brought right. up, and this has been driving me nuts lately, The uh, how comics will be like, I was with some civilians and it's like, shut up, you're not in the military. Right. Like, <laughs> comedians, uh, most comedians, uh, I probably shouldn't, I, mean, well, I will, I don't say, I shouldn't say this, but it doesn't make me reflect well on me as someone who likes booking comedians for the show and is one, but most comedians are horrible people. <laughs> they can, they sure they can. They really be. are. Sure. And they want to tear everybody else down and they find ways to illegitimize you and illegitimize the public and, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. I guess just a lot of insecurities that have never been managed or a lot of uh, therapy that's needed. You know, I think I've talked about this on the show, but a lot of comedians like to say, oh, comedy is my therapy. And it's like, no, you need therapy. And that's why you do yeah. comedy. But yeah, uh, exactly. And but, it's like we, there's a whole misconception, I think, in the comedy community of like having charisma and being funny. Like that's like that's strength. That's like a real command room. That's strength. And I always thought that. And then I started doing martial arts and I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a it's a type of of magnetism. But this is, I'm, I'm breathing real hard right now. This is actually what strength and power is uh, in the way we talk about it. Yeah. And, and, I, don't, and I don't think it uh, um, is useful to start driving those wedges. Like, you know, I, I talked to somebody, a comic once, just like saying hi. 
And I said, oh, I've been like going to improv jams and just like having fun with that. And uh, he's like, so did you just you're just like doing improv now? I'm like, yeah. And I'm here too. It's fine. It's <laughs> not that big a deal. I'm not I'm not right. defecting to some like enemy country or something. Yeah, I put very little weight into what other comedians think of my choices in life at this point. You know, they've made it clear that uh, they don't like a lot of things that I like, like. You know, and I don't think anyone has to, but like, for instance, I like religion. That makes me very unpopular in comedy circles amongst a lot of comedians. Some of them will go with me on it, but it's rare. And uh, and that's okay with me. I don't need the validation of other comedians for my own decisions in my life. Like, if you don't yep. believe in God, I don't fault you. And if I believe in God, I expect you not to fault me. But if you do, okay, go for it. If you don't like the fact that I do some improv whenever the opportunity comes up and you think that makes me less cool than you, I don't care, you know? If you think it's stupid that I have chickens or uh, tortoises and I'm a grown man, I don't care, you know? Like, I really don't care. I'm just going to do... And people and comics don't even like that I have kids. And uh, I think that's one of the greatest things. I I, I didn't want to have kids for most of my life, and I... I, uh, that was one of the great surprises in life for me, how much I enjoy it. So I'm not losing any sleep over what comedians think of my choices. Yeah. I mean, my priorities have shifted so much since my, my best friend had a baby and he's almost two now and he's my godson. And just being around that kid makes me so happy that I'm like, oh, this is that feeling I've been chasing with other stuff. This is what that actually feels like. I, it's like, a community and family, mm-hmm. you know, with my own family, but also with this new family that has become part of through the kid. And it's just like, oh, this is, I, I always like to make the comparison of like, you know, success is like frosting. It tastes really good, but the crash is really hard. Mm-hmm. Like what things that make you happy, like family or whatever. And everybody's happiness comes from different places, but like that type of stuff. That's like what you need as opposed to what you want. That's, actual food that's not empty calories i don't think any amount of audience validation will ever compare to the amount of love that fills your heart with a kid and i mean i'm sure there are people that are exceptions to that rule but not me it turned out so you know yeah it's like whenever you know when at my worst when i was like i need to be famous i'm so desperate i gotta be successful and then i date somebody for a week and i'm like i haven't thought about all that stuff at all like this is what right. I, I wanted a girlfriend <laughs> that's what i really wanted yeah it's interesting like that uh I, it reminds me of an old episode we did with jason zumalt who i always loved uh who i don't think he does comedy anymore he, he said he didn't anyway i don't know if he went back to it but when he came on modern day philosophers he said he wasn't doing it anymore because when his dad died he said uh he realized that whatever he was trying to do was maybe related to that with comedy and he no longer felt that need so it's interesting how we try to compensate and fill certain voids with comedy i like doing comedy i found because i enjoy doing comedy but it doesn't have to be more than that for me at this point i mean i like making money i need to make money and that's one of the few skills i have to make money so when the opportunity to, to to perform anywhere and get paid comes up i'm you know, as long as it doesn't uh, fall out on Shabbat for me or whatever, I'm I'm in. But you know, I I don't feel like I need comedy in terms of like to fulfill myself at this point. Just in terms of a career, in the same way you need your whatever your job is. I still enjoy yeah, it. I still have passion for it, but I don't feel like I need it. And I think that's a yeah, healthy and place I, to be. It's a super healthy place to be. And also, you put it really well. Uh, I can't remember who the guest was, but you guys were talking about when, if you're a person who is actually trying to make like healthy growth in your personal life, and you're also a comic, there's going to be moments where someone goes, "Hey, do you want to come by and do this spot right now?" And you're kind of like, "No, I'm kind of having a good day. And I don't really want to." And that, that's a that's a good sign that you're tre- and you put it well. You're like you're not treating it as an addiction, and we get spurred on and encouraged in this community to treat what should be essentially painting, you know, writing jokes 
like it's this addiction and like trying to prove that you have the if i don't do a set every day i'm a miserable bastard well that's not good yeah that's, that's not good for you or anyone else it's like <laughs> something to look you know, into <laughs> yeah it's like you know the stand-up comedy is a weird art form in that it it combines the lyrical whimsy of poetry writing with the rigid like bicep flexing of a push contest like how many sets did you do today bro it's like we're writing jokes we're like this close to being in vaudeville why are you making this into bodybuilding speaking of vaudeville now the next guy i'm going to bring up probably has very little to do with vaudeville but i just thought it'd be a funny thing to say speaking of we vaudeville nick Matterett. <laughs> the nick Matterett one was was fun um because i always wanted to play with uh, with Cervantes, just because I really like Don Quixote as a as a text, like it's the first modern novel and it's the first kind of meta novel at the same time because part of it is written from the perspective of I forget if it's Sancho Panza or Don Quixote, but one of them. Then the next chunk of the book is written by a guy who is like writing about them, like it's a biographer. Like it it goes through some different layers, and like Nick's humor is always kind of like. Not always, but like like that Fallon set where he brings out the giant set list is mm-hmm. uh, is it's about doing comedy on Fallon and like and I uh, I was a little bit dumb and I had forgotten because it was so long ago why I had picked Cervantes and when you guys were like, well, mentioned that really long set list that unfolds on Fallon I was like oh because because Don Quixote is incredibly long and it's like because it was meta I'm like oh yeah yeah that's why I picked that that's a much smarter reason well. That's it. It worked. It was a good episode, and I love Nick Vatterit. Just as a funny, wacky, silly personality, which I love. Yeah, and he like kind of exemplifies what we were just talking about. Of like, hey, let's all remember this is supposed to be fun. It's yeah. jokes. It doesn't have to be like your plot to take over pop culture. It can be fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to be, you know, the the prophet of our time. You can. Uh, you can also just uh, make people laugh. I mean, I know the yeah. show is Modern Day Philosophers, and I do love when comedians have good, strong philosophical point of views, but I uh, I also don't think you have to at all for it to be a great comedian. You, yeah. could, you could just be silly, and uh, if you make people laugh, that's you're fulfilling the job description yeah and it's and it's always kind of interesting too because sometimes you talk to those guys their act is 100 percent silly and they kind of are that deep person off stage they just that's what makes them it's like you know when i think about capitalism and the geopolitical situation you go whoa, whoa, whoa your act is throwing rubber chickens where is this coming from <laughs> <laughs> i want to hear about where is it coming from that was not the impression i gathered absolutely yeah this next guy by the way is one of my favorite comedians um certainly to watch he's i don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to see him i've gone to see him live he's incredible tommy tiernan we did tommy tiernan and albert einstein that was also done at edinburgh fringe um but how cool uh getting him on the show was like for me one of the um ultimate ultimate guests yeah and what i loved about this one was he was so excited to tell you just all the all the kind of studying of comedy that he'd done just for his own joy like just he couldn't oh what about this guy and this guy this guy and then he keeps bringing up bob dylan it's just like he's that kind of uh that person that i like to think of myself as sometimes too where it's like we use you know spotify or youtube it's like well i'm here to learn and i'm having fun because comedy is fun or music is fun but like I'm I'm trying to find new broaden my horizons with this stuff that could just be used for to rot my brain, but I'm I'm actually trying to get something out of it. Yeah, and I remember talking to him also about um, the fact that I my wife was pregnant at the time with our first kid, and uh, I remember his advice when I was worried about what kind of dad I'd be like, and he said, you know what everybody's trying not to mess their kids up here we're all trying you know like he's like yeah nobody goes into it thinking i'm gonna screw these kids up you know but uh <laughs> and i was like oh yeah <laughs> That's, he's like all you can do is try yeah and it was very comforting i don't remember exactly how he put it but i just remember him being like look yeah of course you got to try not to mess them up we're all trying nobody goes into it 
intentionally like doing that but you know you give it your best and you probably will mess them up and we probably all will and that's part of it i don't know i yeah. just do you know the um do you know the comic tim Minchin? oh yeah I've, I've interviewed tim Minchin and also briefly was friends with him years ago He's yeah amazing. i love i i love him he has a song about putting his his like baby daughter to bed and there's a line in it like where's the line between patting and shaking <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the most brilliant, uh, I mean, I don't know how many people are aware of him in America, but he is one of the most brilliant comedian slash musician artists uh, alive, I think. I love Tim yeah. Minchin. I'm his songs are, him right now. I remember when I interviewed him and I told him, I'm like, man, he wasn't big at the time. He was just sort of starting to pop. And I, in America anyway, he was, I guess he's still not huge in America, but he, he has a big enough career that people know who you're talking about. But at the time, he was fairly obscure here. And I remember telling him, I'm like, I heard your songs, and they're really catchy, and I got them stuck in my head. And he's like, yeah, that's the point of them. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. But <laughs> he's like, I'm like, but most songs aren't, don't do that for me, like, unless they're like the Beatles or something. You know, but his songs, I remember, I can still recite them, like Rock and Roll Nerd. And he will always be... A rock and roll nerd, he'll keep playing songs the world will never hear. And though they won't be heard, he'll just keep playing. Oh, yeah. Did you see the problem is? Anyway, I mean, his songs are just brilliant as songs and uh, on other levels as well. The way they're written, the, the, the lyrically, uh, comedically, philosophically. I'd love to get him on this show. I wonder if, he, uh, if he'd still uh, be receptive if I reached out to him. Yeah, he uh, he also was um, a few years, a while ago, but there's clips still around. He was Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar in a live concert they filmed. He's incredible. And that's a hard role to sing and like nail all the beats because it's not really comedic. Like he's, but he's nailing it and wow. it's so good. And now he wrote, he wrote Matilda the Musical and that's like uh, won a bunch of Tonys and they just made a Netflix movie of it. So I think he's slowly but surely kind of but i but Taking i talked to one world. of my friends yeah i talked to one of one of my friends lives in england and i was like hey i'm just really into this tim minchin guy and, you know i'm guessing you guys heard of him because he's bigger overseas and they go oh yeah when he was like selling out wembley my wife was crazy into him so i was like all right well we'll talk we'll talk about minchin <laughs> yeah he's in like i said when you leave america he's massively successful but here you know not as much but he should be he's great um, speaking of people from outside of the U.S., Ashley Blaker and Leo Strauss. I think Ashley Blaker has as many kids as Tommy Tiernan. Don't they both have six kids? Uh, uh, yeah, I, th I thought Tommy had seven, but maybe you're right. I don't remember. It doesn't matter yeah, either way. They been, both have a lot of been, kids. Yeah, six with one to grow on. But Ashley Blaker, and it's it's interesting because like I know you've you felt sort of iced out by the comedy community in terms of uh, being a believer. We had like some pretty observant Jews on this one, so I hope that you found, like, like you had some community to, to vent about that with in, in a healthy way. Yeah, I was kind of looking to talk to some people like that because I was feeling so alienated. So I was, it was uh, a bit comforting. And I, Ashley Blaker, I've lost touch with, but I know I follow him on social media, and I see that he has a book out about having a lot of kids now. So, and he's also doing a lot of stuff with. Uh, the guy from Little Britain, I forget his name, uh, but um, that's his that's his buddy. I, I don't remember his name, but yeah, I know the the bald guy. I know who you're yeah, talking yeah. about. I can't remember his name, but um, he seems to be doing well. What do you think of that episode? I thought it was good. I was really excited to use Leo Strauss because you know I'd been sitting on that one for uh, a while, going, okay, who would be uh, good for this one? Because it was such an interesting message of like. This this guy, and this is a topic that I think every artist has an opinion about. It's he, he's like, oh well, we use, we don't really say what we mean. Like we couch it in different kind of metaphors and whatever, so we can hide in plain sight. And I feel like every person who you know is self aware of what they're writing has an opinion on whether they go, oh, I do do that, or that's all I do, or like I've never done that, so I I don't even um, wouldn't wouldn't I'm not even entirely sure how I feel about whether or not Leo Strauss is, is right most of the time because there's such a spectrum. But because he took such a stance on it, it's mm -hmm. interesting. 
right. and watching Ashley Blaker be like, you know, uh, the whole thing about he's like, I want to, you know, I don't want to be pigeonholed into one style, but I also want to make sure that I'm, like you said, not serving two masters, trying to do too much at one time. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like specializing, but not being hemmed in by those specializations was really interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's a good takeaway from it. I forgot about that. Yeah. So the next two that we are going to talk about are just interviews. They did not have philosophy in them, but uh, I I did these two interviews because very fascinating people, and uh, I think this kind of took place over pandemic times, and the opportunities came around and didn't really have time to prepare properly, and I thought, okay, well, at least let's interview them. So the first one was Art Bell, who created Comedy Central. Did you hear that? Uh, yes, I did. And um, I, it, Comedy Central was such a mainstay of my childhood that like, it kind of, as silly as it sounds, some part of my brain didn't think anyone ran it. It was just this <laughs> thing that gave me comedy out in the ether. So it's like, you created Comedy Central. I'm like, oh yeah, somebody must have had to have signed like finance documents I and totally stuff. I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't that who I would have guessed, like, when I interviewed him. He didn't seem like the type of person you'd think would have started Comedy Central. But uh, I thought that was fascinating in that way. Yeah, and what was particularly interesting about that one to me was um, kind of like what you and I have been talking about on this call of, like, every artist kind of looks at what they do differently. And with that um, comes... So they've got to have a, a person that specializes in just how to talk to the talent because business people aren't always great at it, but someone needs to be like a talent whisperer. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this guy's going to get really uptight about this. But he's generally cool. This person's kind of a jerk, but we need him for this. This person <laughs> is completely cool. It's, it's like it's like making sure that you, you speak the language of everyone uh, at, in, in that certain sort of field. For sure. And so he was like, yeah. oh, I wasn't, he's like, that wasn't my thing, but I knew people who did it, and when they do it, it works really well and also that dennis miller uh being worried about the the uh on mike piss was pretty pretty great <laughs> this yeah. is gonna ruin me i'm uh <laughs> what's a big word he would use to describe it the the voluminous amount of urine i expelled is gonna send me to the boundaries of hades <laughs> big guy, babe. <laughs> oh man And John Stewart, that story about John Stewart as well, I thought was really interesting. Do you remember? Yeah. What he said. Yeah, the um, him saying like that uh, his uh, John Stewart's friend was unjustly gotten rid of, and John Stewart was like, "No, this is not okay," and like sticking up. Yeah, I like. I really always liked John Stewart, and the more you hear stories about John Stewart, I think the more there is to like. And you know, he's just seems like a very principled guy. Yeah. I met him once, and he was very yeah. delightful to meet, too. But go That's on. That's good. Uh, a friend of mine, um, I, I grew up on Long Island, where a lot of celebrities lived, and like he used to come in the Starbucks, where my, my friend that I'm writing my musical with uh, worked, and it's like, oh, John Stewart's in. Everybody's going to get to talk to him, and he's just just a nice guy. And also, it's it's I think it's really cute how just how excited about the Mets uh, John Stewart is whenever they're doing well. That's all he wants to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, I I am a um not necessarily a Mets fan because I grew up by Shea Stadium and I've always been uh, angry at them for sucking so much in my childhood. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of comedians that love the Mets and uh I don't know, they they usually are very successful and uh, I always find it interesting that they I guess they root for the Mets cuz the Mets feel like an underdog, but I always feel like the Mets are just underperforming. And like these people aren't who love the Mets are not underperforming. They're like great performers, and uh, I wonder where they uh, find the relatability there. But I always felt like the Mets were a bunch of slackers, and they would they ruin sure ruin my childhood <laughs> by just losing every single time. And we'd go and we'd leave depressed. And I thought, why why am I invested in these in this team that just just depresses me? I can get rid of all this. Without by simply just detaching myself from caring about their success. <laughs> yeah, I I think my pretty healthy attitude towards sports is improbable, probably in some way shaped by being a Mets fan because I was like, my attitude is like, oh, I wish them well. I like it when they do well. If they don't, I'm just gonna go about whatever I was doing anyway. It doesn't affect anything, uh-huh. and I think that's because 
if you're right, if you're pinning your mental health on the Metropolitan Baseball Organization, it's not going to be great for you. Yeah. So <laughs> I just got out. <laughs> I'm done yeah. with these guys. Seth Glass. Uh, this one's going to be hard for me to talk about because, and you don't know this, but, or maybe you do, but Seth Glass I just do. passed away about two yeah, weeks I ago. Him, yeah, I, I looked him up because when I listened to the episode, I was like, this music is great. I'm going to look him up on Spotify. Oh, there's not a lot on Spotify. Okay, he's got an album on YouTube. Let's Google him. Oh, he's dead. Great. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Another yeah. thing that I know about. I knew him since great. I was like eight years old. And, uh, Man, I'm glad I did the interview because I can always go back now and hear him and hear us talking. And it's just, uh, you know, he had those hand surgeries and he survived the hand surgeries. And then something else happened and he just died in his sleep. And it was just so tragic. I just talked to him. You know, people always say I just talked to him like as if that would have kept him alive. But I just talked to him like a week before and there was no indication to me that I wouldn't be talking to him again. And uh, it was just a, a sad thing. And he wanted to do the interview, and I said, come in, let's do it. And I wasn't necessarily sure that, you know, it's, he's not a comedian, he's a musician, but, it, you know, fine, that works. He's a very f- philosophical guy, and I thought, all right, let's just do an interview. Um, I wasn't necessarily sure, I'll just be honest, I wasn't necessarily sure that he was going to show up. So okay. I didn't, I didn't bother you to do anything for it because <laughs> I've had many opportunities you know, I've known him for years and he didn't always, uh, he wasn't always the most reliable, uh, you know, he was an artist, like a, a troubled artist. And he, he wasn't always uh, a guy that if you, he said he's going to be there, he would be there. So even when he did show up, he showed up many hours after we'd scheduled it. And I said to myself, because I knew he was nervous to do an interview. I don't think he'd done many interviews in his life. And I said, well, if he shows up, I don't care what time it is. We're going to do it. And it was pretty late. And we went very late with the interview. But I'm so glad that, you know, because he, he kept saying, well, do you want us to reschedule? I'm, I'm running late or we don't have to do this tonight and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I knew, okay, he's just trying to get out of it because he's afraid to do it. So just like, you know, be easy on him and, and, uh, see what happens so i'm glad we did it that's all i can say i yeah. miss him terribly i love him i think he was an, a genius musician and uh a terrific guy he played at my wedding he was my wedding musician too because i'm like who who could be cooler to have play than seth glass i mean but yeah and then now that you mentioned it that interview is so full of vulnerable moments because he talks about how many times he's married and he talks about addiction and he he, you can tell he's being a little cagey because those things are still very probably raw for him so you saying that his unreliability could be a symptom of the fact that he's almost hoping the interview doesn't happen Mm -hmm. but i think having it had having it happen uh, with that almost adds an extra layer of vulnerability where it becomes even more interesting because you can tell you you would like him to say everything with confidence but some things are still going to be like hard for him to talk about because there's such and you feel the weight of those things kind of in the room in a good way you know mm-hmm. and also just the music is incredible yeah yeah man there's so much of his stuff that was never released I'm trying to figure out how to get a hold of it to to hear it to share it I don't know, but uh, he told me he was working on a whole new album, and I don't know where that music is, but uh, I'm trying to figure that out. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Carl Gottlieb, this was an interesting one. Um, The man who co-wrote Jaws with Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and it it makes sense. It makes sense to me now, because I didn't see Jaws until I was an adult, and I loved it, but my main takeaway was, that was a lot funnier of a movie than I ever had been told it was. And now that I know that a comedian or a comedy writer was, I'm like, oh, that's why there's such good bits in Jaws. <laughs> that makes sense now. Yeah, that's wild. I, I thought it was interesting that he, he and Spielberg don't talk, you know, and he did this like movie that was the breakout movie for Spielberg with him. It's kind of a shame yeah. that uh, I don't know what happened and, you know, life goes on, but. You know, just talking about losing Seth, it's important to, I think, 
it's important to fix the relationship problems you have with people who are meaningful in your life, you know, while you have the opportunity to do so. I hope yeah, they resolve he that. To, he seemed to say that it was because John Milius claimed he wrote more of Jaws than Carl Gottlieb or a particular scene and that Spielberg took his side. And John Milius was notoriously, I think, I don't even remember if he's alive, is notoriously crazy to the point where he is the basis for Walter and the Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't, I watched the documentary on him once. It was really interesting. I don't know. I'd imagine maybe the story he's telling Spielberg isn't a thousand percent ironclad, but um, that that's what he said did it. And then that sucks because those are two people that you created, you collaborated with on this great piece of art to the point where it freaks people out to ever be around water. But also mm-hmm. they've got these fond memories of it where he's like, here's something that I thought wasn't going to work and it became iconic. Here's something they kind of fought me on, but I fought for it and it ended up really working. And it's like, okay, so now, but all three of you can't enjoy it together. It's a, there's a, there's a sad lining to it, you know? Yeah. I brought this up to him on the interview, maybe not as well as I'm about to say it, but I, I compared his movie to, to Psycho, the Jaws to Psycho, their movie. Yeah. But uh, now I, I, I don't know if I remember saying this on the interview, but between those two movies, they really made water terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's in your house or outside, <laughs> they ruined water for people. Oh man, it did. It yeah. did. Perhaps that's why Avatar's so big. We're all just <laughs> culturally reckoning with water again. Yeah. Who knows? Water's powerful, man. Water destroyed my parents' home years ago when they, they were doing some uh, repairs, and they opened up the roof, and it flooded the house, and. And then again with Hurricane Sandy, I've, all my stuff from my childhood pretty much was destroyed. Water is a is a is a powerful force, man. Do you Anybody? think there was ever a person that was like they see Jaws, they see Psycho, they're now freaked out by water, and then a science teacher says the human body is seventy two percent water, and they're like, oh, the, the killer's inside, inside my house. house. Yeah, <laughs> we both went the same place with it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I can't <laughs> escape you, water. <laughs> do you do you, uh, do you know the comic Eric Bergstrom? He had a special a few years ago. I uh, vaguely I know him. Yeah, I, I think I've yeah, worked with my, him before. He, he's my friend. He's a really funny one-liner guy. He has a line that goes, "Skeletons, the only monster you can't tell a child isn't real. All you can say is there's one inside you right now. <laughs> Don't drink milk. That'll just make it stronger." Oh, that's a great joke. It's that's, so good. That's funny. You'll make it stronger. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's so good. That's really funny. The ghosts too, I suppose, are inside of you, right? Or supposedly. Um, Elon Gold and Jack, is it Kerouac? Kerouac, yeah. Kerouac. Uh, e- Elon Gold was another one of those guys where it's like, yep, I remember seeing a clip of him on Comic Remix in 2004, where they were just like mixing up old TV clips on comedy central and i didn't I, I didn't know a crazy lot about him but like the impressions were so good and the writing is so good and i picked Kerouac. one thing i want to clear up is when you guys are reading the quote uh one of the quotes it goes the stars are were are, are words mm, that's a typo it must mean stars are worlds the word <laughs> it was the stars are words because my whole point that Kerouac is making is that writing comes from life he's like oh. everything around you is words so i was like no no oh that's interesting wow 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 i would not have guessed that that's really interesting that changes the quote a lot yeah and i guess i didn't include it but uh i don't know i don't know if you ever read much kerouac but like there's that famous quote from on the road of like the only ones i listen to are the mad ones the crazy look it up it's a really brilliant quote and i'm not really this is an interesting one for me as well because I love a lot of things about Jack Kerouac, but I read On the Road and I hated almost every second of it huh. to the point where I read it and I gave it its due. I finished it and I was like, this is a super interesting look into the heart of the American dream, whatever. But the writing is so messy because he wrote it without stopping while he was just on amphetamines uh, on, on a typewriter. And uh, the editors made him cut some stuff for structure, but he fought them. And so it's a it's a mess. And I was like so mad. I, t- I threw the book out the window 
It landed in the street. I looked out of the street. An old woman looks at it, picks it up, looks at the cover, and throws it further into the street and walks away. <laughs> Great visual. That's yeah. hilarious. But I think the quotes, like the, the stuff I provided you here with, like, okay, this is the stuff about Kerouac that I like, that kind of wistful, you know, the transientness of life. Because his whole thing was, I, I need to keep moving. Like, there's a part in the book where um, he, you know, it's about a road trip from one end of the country to the other, but he makes it to the other end and goes, I don't really feel anything. He just turns around. And that's not the end. That's like in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's about his need to keep moving. Um, now, that doesn't have a crazy lot to do with Elon Gold, but I just think <laughs> Jack Kerouac is, is interesting. Yeah. Um, and this kind of rounded out the uh, the season with, like you were saying, you know, you felt so um, sort of un- unwelcome for being religious. And we got some observant Jews on here. You guys have really had a moment of like, this is why Shabbat is so important. I will literally, it is my priority to be with my family and to be with my community and to be with my thoughts to the point where if a show is like, well, fire, if you don't do Shabbat, it's like, well, I guess I'm not doing bones. Mm-hmm. It's not as important in that perspective. Is And like, I'm not religious, but I totally get that, that idea of, no, my life is more important than being, you know, DA number three in two scenes so I can point to my IMDb page. That's all fleeting. Right, right. Wow, that's cool that that resonated still with you, despite yeah. the... the um disconnect religiously but that's, that's yeah 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 this it's it is a universal message you know pr- prioritize the the real things in life and realize what's real and what's nonsense you know and it's uh, yeah. especially important nowadays where nonsense is everywhere i feel like and 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 glorified so much and um everybody's so much under pressure to be like have this social media thing up to date and that and it's like it could just suck your whole life away before you know it. You die, and you're like, what did I accomplish? I had a million Instagram followers or whatever. Yeah, you're like, well... <laughs> and what do you do with them? I, I don't know. I just... Can, <laughs> yoga can, my poses. TikTok, can my TikTok presence give me a hug? Uh, maybe it, it, they'll build in that feature later if I get enough followers. No, it won't. It yeah. won't do it, buddy. Yeah. I mean, I think... You know, there's a lot changing right now with AI. There'll, there'll be a lot to talk about in the new season of Modern Day Philosophers in terms of that. I think there's a lot of philosophical conversations around that that need to be had. Yeah. But um, I'm here with my newest guest, ChatGPT. How you doing, <laughs> ChatGPT? How do you want me to be? Uh, good, I guess. I'm good, I guess. <laughs> what have we done as a society? Oh, no. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to miss you. Um, maybe every now and then you'll do a guest uh, a drop-in or a call, or if there's a particular guest that you want to write a philosopher for, um, you're always welcome to do that, too. If you get Tim Minchin, I will come out of retirement like Jay-Z for one album, and I'll be like, give me Minchin. All right. <laughs> I want to I talk to him. <laughs> all right. All right. I will keep that in mind. That's an incentive in itself. Yeah. But uh, it's always uh, an honor and a pleasure, my friend. And uh, just because we're not working together on the podcast anymore, I hope you won't be a stranger in my life. Absolutely. And thank, like I said, thank you for, you know, I found this podcast at, at a time when I didn't feel like anything I was writing was being looked at by anybody. Uh, and you gave me my job writing for Ralphie. And then you gave me this and it was like, okay, it was a good reminder of like, okay, well, if I feel like things aren't going, I have this podcast, people are listening to me and it's, it's my, my word and getting to hear, like I said, comics that I have looked up to or, you know, followed and stuff like that for years sometimes just read words that I wrote, like will never be lost on me how crazy unlikely that is to happen to somebody and how much i have to always appreciate that and the fact that some of them the fact that you said like a good chunk of the guests go can i have those quotes oh, on yeah. the sheet happen a lot like like whoa whoa testament <laughs> really... to how talented you are and uh yeah, it is not I, lost on me i know whatever you go on to do is going to be awesome as well because uh Thanks, you're you're really a terrific very smart very kind and very talented guy so thanks bud. Thank you.
Okay, can I plug some of it now, what I'm working on? Please. Okay. Uh, so Broadway Baby is is ending, but we lasted four years. Our final episode's going to be on Hamilton. It'll be out next uh, Monday, The whatever a week from today is. Bat Boy came out today. It's our second to last episode. And uh, I have a new anime podcast called The Watch for Mercury, where we watch the new Gundam show, Witch for Mercury, that's really good. And we're going to branch out to just doing different kinds of shows and we just started a patreon where we watch a movie every month and that slowly people are starting to get into that and i'm also for the last few years this was my quarantine project i started writing a musical that is a parody of mel gibson's the patriot and it's full it's we had to do (laughs) make it a comedy because you know legally yeah but i saw in this my friend miles brought it to me the idea and he goes, I want to turn this into a musical. And I, having watched it a bunch of times now, first of all, it hurts to see Mel Gibson in anything now because of all the things we know. Mm-hmm. So we make fun of him a lot in the show. We're, we're <laughs> totally self-aware about that. Yeah. Um, but also, it's such a human story of this guy trying to put his violent past away from his children. But that's what the putting it away makes it come back harder. It's almost like a Greek you know, myth, almost. Yeah. And having to – and I, I, I had the goal of um, – I composed all the music and I wrote the first draft of all the lyrics. And then my friend Miles, who is writing it with me, is a much better lyricist than I am. We collaborate on that and we wrote the scripts together, putting in jokes here and there. We like to say it's more Mel, Mel Brooks than Gibson <laughs> is our uh, is the humor. But what I wanted to do, and I think is um, kind of like I might have been the right person for this job, is I love uh, who doesn't love a good musical comedy, Book of Mormon, the producers where, but the music is always this kind of super light bouncy thing and i was like it's good that's you're you're trying to make it consistent i was like i want to do a comedy where the music is as serious as a car accident but it's still really funny yeah and i think that is actually it could be we haven't brought it to a director or anything it could be a mess i'm sure there's going to be kinks to work out but i was like i have always wanted to see a comedy where the music was just really hardcore rock music and that made the the moments of levity pop more as opposed to less. It sounds fascinating. I hope it gets made. I hope it's a massive hit, and I hope I get a front row ticket to see it. Hell yeah. Um, I am also uh, working on another podcast, which is called The Fair Enough Podcast, based on my comic book series about my life, uh, where I talk to artists that I've worked with on the comic books, and I'm trying to get more famous graphic novel writers, illustrators, and... uh, talk about all things comic book but mostly things that are graphic novels not necessarily the superhero stuff which i'm not as into uh for many years now so i i really wanted to put a you know a spotlight on the stuff that i like to read which is like the the graphic novels and i have a film out called reconquistador which is a stand-up special slash documentary which is showing around and if anybody's listening and wants to bring it to their town please reach out to me at thecomical at yahoo.com. Alex, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I really do. Likewise. Talk soon. All right. All right.